0: The teaching ministry of judah olorimai a man called of god to compel consecration provoke repentance and inspire worship by the preaching and teaching of god's word and the miraculous demonstration of god's power god's word is about to hit you as life and strength get ready for an encounter with grace the last teaching we did before we ended the first series was the papal ascendancy or um, the ascendancy of the papacy or something like that. We saw how the papacy or the office of the Pope rose to become very influential and prominent alongside the crusades. If I say crusade now, some of you are thinking evangelism, but what crusade actually means is not that. Crusade is actually like a Christian form of jihad. (laughs) So all of these terms, you, if, if you didn't follow the first series, you might not be able to juxtapose some of the conversations we'll be having now. So that's why it's important that you get the first series and hear it so that when we employ certain terms, if we say orthodox, if we say catholic, you really know what we are talking about. If we say papal, papacy, you understand what we are talking about. If we say heresies or heretics, you understand what we are talking about. Are we clear on that now? Yeah. Secondly, like I said, it's a very academic conversation. So, you have to pay attention. This is not something you can do casually. This is very academic. It's history. You have to pay attention. Listen closely. This is not something you may want to do in the spirit. Quote unquote. I'm not saying you should not be in the spirit. But put your mind to this thing. Don't, as I'm teaching, don't be opening my Bible. I'm saying, mm, efficient. What I'm saying is not Listen. Try to understand. Follow. It's sequential. I'm going to be mentioning dates, years, people's names. Follow. Follow the conversation. Take interest. Africans are very poor in learning. What is happening in the country today is simply because people refuse to read history. How many of you did this tree in secondary school? Raise your hands if you did this tree in secondary school. 30 people. This should be a compulsory cause. Oh yeah. Some of the enemies of this country today, if you know, if you read what they did in the 70s and in the 80s, you will never support them. But you didn't know what they did. So you cannot support them. So, history is too fundamental to trivialize. Too so fundamental. You may say, eh, but I'm not supposed to be a Bible people. The Bible itself is historical in the sense, Genesis to Revelation records historical accounts tracing the lineage of Jesus. Adam, and then Seth, and then that generation, Abraham, every other person, down to Jesus. After Jesus, the apostles continuing to us. It's in a sense historical. So pay attention. Don't say, I'm ah, a ah, scripture alone. That's not the issue here. And I may call a few scriptures to portray some of these truths and these realities. But please, it's a very academic in its setting. Pay attention. Are we clear? So I'll be teaching on the papal decline. Let's quickly pray. Holy Spirit, we trust that these words will be anointed in the name of Jesus. And that we will receive lessons from them in the name of Jesus. We ask that you will anoint us to understand and to comprehend the purpose of this communication. In Jesus' name we pray. The purple decline. Now let me begin by reminding us how we got to this point. Uh, one of the things we discussed is the Jewish root of the Christian faith. Many of you talk about Christianity as though Christianity is a white man's religion. Some people say, Well, Christianity is for Oibos, and they came and colonized us and gave us Christianity. So, in our previous teachings, we established the Jewish root of Christianity, showing how Jesus himself is not an Oyibo person. If what you call Oyibo is America, UK, Jesus is not Oyibo. So, Christianity is not a white man's religion in the sense that Jesus was not American, he was not British, he was Palestinian. The word Palestinian or Palestine, many of you will refer to that as people that are in the Middle East or Arabs. Yes, Jesus was in a sense an Arab. You may say, ah, but Jesus is a Jew now. Yes, Jewish are, Jews are Arabs actually. They are centered in a geographical location that is central in the geography of the world. The Palestine state is central to Europe, Asia, Africa. So it was a very important place because from the Palestine you can navigate to Asia, you can navigate to Europe, you can navigate to Africa. For instance, there's a state in Nigeria called Kogi State. It is linked to I think about eight states. Kogi is central to about eight states. So from Kogi Kogi shares borders with about eight different states. That's how Palestine was. So it was a very important geographical location. And so when the Roman government was conquering the world at that time, the Roman government were the superpowers. The superpowers of today now is the United States of America. At that time, in the days of Jesus, the Roman government were the superpowers. The Palestine state was a very important place to colonize. And so that was how Jesus grew up in the Palestine setting. All his disciples at first were Jews. They were all Palestinians as it were. There was no good disciple. When Jesus died and then ascended, he handed over the walk to all Palestines. All those guys, Peter, James, John, even Paul, were Jewish. And so there was a strong Jewish culture on the early church. We saw, for instance, in Acts, how there were arguments about if they are not circumcised according to the law of Moses, Even a Gentile cannot receive salvation. They they had to argue it out. They were council meetings in Jerusalem. But eventually God used Paul because Paul was Jewish. But he had Roman education. He also had Greek education. So Paul was used greatly to take the gospel across the world. That's how Christianity began to spread beyond Jewish culture. In Acts 1 verse 8, he says you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost come upon you, we shall be witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the uttermost part of the earth. That was the sequence of movement. Jerusalem first. All the work was happening in Jerusalem. In Jerusalem. They were not preached to anybody. It was in Acts chapter eight that Philip went to Samaria. In Acts chapter ten, Paul now preached. Brother Peter preached in the house of Cornelius. And then, when Paul's ministry began to go on, then it went to Asia. It went to several other places. Went to other parts of Europe like that. Do we understand that? So fundamentally, the history of Christianity is Jewish. It's not America. But subsequently, then the gospel began to spread on and on like that. We also established the setting of the people there at the time of the early church. Most of the church setting was actually like house fellowship. There was no hall for church. Just like house fellowship. People just came to the houses or came to homes and they did services. Um, subsequently, persecution broke out. We know that persecution was already prominent in the book of Acts. Stephen was stoned to death under the supervision of Paul. Subsequently, the persecution was so severe, the people had to now spread. One of the reasons Christianity spread from Jerusalem was because there was persecution in Jerusalem. So, everybody now began to move on, move on, move on, and then took the gospel alongside them. The persecution increased under an emperor who was the leader of the Roman government at that time, Emperor Nero. That was his name. It was a very brutal emperor in the class of Adolf Hitler. People like that. They were very wicked against Christians. And they began to persecute Christians in the worst way possible. That continued, but Christianity tried. One of the reasons Christianity tried, despite the persecution, was because Christianity was a very different flavor to the regular Roman culture. Very unique. For instance, they supported women. Many people say things like, Christianity does not support women. There is no faith in the world that supports women like Christianity. No faith in the world. We began to have even female church leaders. And that Roman government was very worried that how can a people be supporting women, support their education, support their leadership. In fact, it was so bad that if a family gives birth to a child and a girl, usually, there is a license to abort the child, to kill the child if the child is a girl. They did not value girls. That was because in those days, you need to be armed for war. If you have seven men, men children, you have seven soldiers. That's an advantage. If you have just ladies, what would they do for you? So that was the setting there. But Christianity was very unique. Christianity was given to charity, given to even some, something as simple as a burial for the dead. In those days, nobody buried the dead. Once somebody died, they just threw the person away. But Christianity began to say, you should bury the dead because the body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Uh-huh. It was a very unique thing in that time. So, Christianity was still thriving despite the persecution. Do we understand that? Subsequently, during the persecution, please note what I'm about to say next. very important to what I'm going to say today. Um, Apostle Peter went to Rome. He left Jerusalem and went to Rome. So, he was the pastor at Rome. Just like I am the pastor of Ogumosho Church. Peter was the pastor at Rome. Do you understand that? Okay. Of course, in those days, there were no denominations. It was just church at Rome, church at Corinth, church at Galicia, and all of that. Eventually, there was a man, Constantine. He was not really a Christian, but in one of his journeys, he was going to war, and he had a vision of a cross. And then, subsequent wars, he employed the cross, he would make an image of it and courage to walk. And every time he went to fight with that cross image, he won battles. Or there was a particular battle that he actually went for. And he won that battle with that cross image. And because of that, Constantine was like, wow! Bilal this crossed in the walk and he fell in love with Christianity as it were. Eventually he rose in political influence and became the emperor of the Roman government. Which meant that he was almost in control of that civilization. So he stopped Christian persecution. He himself claimed to be a Christian. He began to encourage churches, encourage pastors, encourage the Christian faith. That was how Christianity seemingly had a break from the issue of persecution. Do we understand that? Subsequently, Constantine now began to mix Christianity with Government began to combine Christianity with politics. So, for instance, it would ask from the church, Can you give us somebody that can be a leader in this particular province? The church was now supplying political leaders for the Roman government. And while that was positive in the sense that the church had influence, it had a negative effect because the church was now more political than spiritual. But, everybody was enjoying it, at least nobody was dying for being a Christian. So, it was all good and rosy for the church. The church was seemingly growing and expanding. There were a few issues here, Constantine was a man of unity, he was an apostle of unity. He did not want division, he did not want fight. So whenever there was a quarrel in the church, he would gather a meeting and say, no, let's settle. And so they began to propose a few things. So that the body of Christ will have one belief, one truth, one doctrine. It was a he was a believer of unity in the sense of one people under one God. That was his major motto as it were. Well. And so, there were a few heretical issues. Some people did not believe this one. Some would believe that. Constantine was very useful in reconciling everybody, and it's one of the reasons he's uh, very notable in the early church. But of course, he died just like every human being would die. And then those who were after time did not really have a strong grip on church leadership. And many things began to happen. Remember, the church was already becoming more political than spiritual. A lot of things were happening. And then subsequently, we now began to have the issues of who exactly is the ultimate leader of the church. It used to be Constantine. But now Constantine is dead. Who exactly is the ultimate leader of the church? And this is where what we are about to say comes in which is the pope the office of the papacy or the office of the pope Because Jesus said something in Matthew 16 I think in Matthew 16 he says on this rock he was saying it when he faced Peter on this rock I will build my church I'm not even remember that statement and the gates of hell will not prevail People automatically assume that Jesus handed over the church to Peter remember that during the persecution peter went to rome is that not so so he was bishop of rome everybody now assumes that any bishop of rome is automatically the leader of the christian faith so peter died but the next bishop of rome now seemingly took the place of i'm the pope i'm the father of the church the word pope actually is from the word papa or father And there were a few controversies, but eventually it was adopted. Anybody who is the bishop of Rome is the father of the church. Now, that office of the Pope began to grow in influence for a few reasons. The church was very rich. Rich not necessarily in silver and gold, but the major source of wealth at that time were land. If you have land, you are rich. I spoke about a feudal system the idea of a feudal system is that somebody will have land he will employ people there were no middlemen in those days you have the rich and the very poor the very poor did not have business they just wanted to eat so they will be employed to farm the land the owners of the land own them they have contracts okay if I work for you for two months you will give me food this one will say yes you will give me protection this one will say yes so they will just farm slaves as it were the church had several lands Because because of Constantine's influence, the political church was able to gain lots of lands. Do you understand that? So, the church was very rich in terms of lands. And these riches made them very influential. But also, the church was very rich because most kings and nobles and royal people were also Christians. Remember that Constantine had made Christianity like the official religion of the world. So, everybody wanted to be a Christian. In fact, the easiest way to win a political party nomination form is to be a Christian. Once your pastor can sign your form like this, Ah! You are a Christian? We are voting for you. That was the way it was then. So, everybody, even people that had bad intention, ran to church. And so, most of the kings, most of the nobles, were very uh, committed Christians, in a sense. Now, because of this um, influence of Royalty in the Christian faith, um, the church was able to execute certain powers, especially the Pope. For instance, let me, and this is where I ended my last teaching in the first series. All the kings and those in authority needed the Pope's affirmation to allow certain people to work for them. If, for instance, somebody here is my protocol officer he has to swear an allegiance to protect me are we still together how many of you have been to a law court before a law court for any reason you have been to a law court before now you notice that if somebody is about to testify they ask them to swear or you have watched the movies they swear by what they believe in if they believe if they are christians they swear by the bible Is that not so the they Muslim, say by the Quran, is that not true? So? so, if you want to work for a king, you have to swear your allegiance. And you do that by affirming your commitment to the Bible. Or, there was no there was Bible for them, something like that. Basically, you swore in the name of the Christian faith. What that means is that, if I'm a soldier, and the Pope is quarreling with my ogre, the Pope can order me as a soldier to stop protecting my organ. Loyalty to the Pope was interpreted as loyalty to Jesus. The Pope can say, stop protecting your organ, and I will say, ah, Jesus has spoken. He was called the Vicar of Christ. <laughs> Jesus has spoken, no, I must obey the Pope. So, open government leaders needed the protection of the Pope because their word was as good as the word of God. Do we understand this now? This is why they were very powerful people, very fresh people. You don't mess with the Pope. Popes will determine who will be king. One of the examples I gave in the last teaching was that somebody can be threatened. It's also bad that if you offend the church, they can excommunicate you. To excommunicate you will mean that you will not be able to participate in sacred matters such as the communion. And to partake in the communion at that time was a very big deal. If you not drop communion, then you go hell. You not drop communion? Oh, It was a very big deal. People virtually worshipped the papal office and depended on it for almost everything. So, this is how the papal office became very, very influential um, up to... The point where we are having this discussion, which is titled the Papal Decline. Do we understand that now? Okay. So let me go ahead now in today's teaching. I've just given a summary of what where we are coming from. Because we are talking about the papal decline. But I needed you to see how the papal the papal office ascended to become a very prominent post, not just in the church but in the world. So the office of the papacy was very influential. Many more people embraced Christianity and so many more people were submitted to Christian leaders. Papal supremacy was strengthened using threats of excommunication and interdict. Excommunication was to individuals. If the office of the Pope threatens to excommunicate you, you will not be allowed to come to church. You will not be able to participate in the Lord's Supper. I mean, you will be seemingly removed from the book of life. When they gave interdict, interdict was like um, a geographical punishment. When they gave excommunication, it was to individuals. Interdict was for an environment. If they place an interdict on an environment, it means that that environment will not be able to participate in any religious activity. Church was not hold in that environment. So, I mean, if church does not hold in an environment, the governor of that town will be afraid that Ah, God has left us. They did not allow us to hold church. So nobody wanted to offend. Nobody wanted an excommunication. Nobody wanted an interdict. Do we get that now? The Pope that we are talking about currently that really used this thing is Pope Innocent III. Pope Innocent III. He used it for good purposes, actually. For instance, he used it to determine how the leaders would be appointed. Anybody that was not. Loyal to the body of Christ To the church It will excommunicate them Once they excommunicated The people will not be loyal to them So they cannot become political leaders In fact there were kings That married unlawfully The pope would threaten to excommunicate them They would not go and return the wife Kings behaved themselves Because nobody wanted to be removed from the book of life You are laughing now But it was a serious thing And it's still a serious thing <laughs> I mean the papal office was that powerful Once the king is summoned by Rome, you know that something is terrible. Or something as terrible has happened and you have to behave yourself. But this particular Pope, Pope Innocent III, used it to curb the excesses of kings. However, there was a particular Pope that was now in charge in the time we are about to discuss. This is from about, let's say 1250 to 1300. These are the Timelines we'll be focusing on 1250 to 1300. But this particular pope just came into power about 1295, thereabout 1295, 1290, thereabout. His name is Pope Boniface VIII. Yeah, Boniface VIII. Everybody say Boniface. It was during his tenure that the papacy began to decline drastically. But to help you to understand this man's background and this man's reign, let me give you a little idea of the pope before him. The pope before him was not actually Innocent III. Innocent III was, however, popular. But there were one or two other popes before, if not even three, before Boniface. But the one I want to talk about is Pope Celestine V. Celestine 5 was actually a hermit. Now, this is one of the things we have discussed in the first series. A hermit is somebody who is like a, an outcast from society, he does not mingle with society, he's too holy. Don't marry, don't mix with people, don't greet anybody, go and hide in a cave and be worshipping God. That was the kind of person that Celestine was. Celestine <laughs> was a very spiritual man. In fact, he was a charismatic man. And I'm not talking about his papal regime. Just as a regular Christian, he was charismatic. He was one of the few people who were operating in visions, revelations, and miracles. But he lived in a cave. He lived 1,000 miles, 1,000 feet rather, away from the regular habitation. And so, he was eventually... Sorry. He was eventually voted in to become a Pope. Because at that time, there was a little issue between who is supposed to take over. And then they just said, let's give the spiritual man. And they voted, voted um, this man, Celestine, Pope Celestine V. Are we still together? Very pure and charismatic Pope. But he was not a good politician. You must understand that the papal office at this point was not just a spiritual office. You had to be dirty you have to be a politician to really rule as a pope so when he got there he noticed the papal office was obstructing his spirituality the man resigned said you shemo i'm going back to my cave however as soon as he resigned there was now a delegation to appoint another pope and then they appointed pope boniface the 8 when they appointed boniface boniface now went to arrest Celestine and lock him up. Why? Because some of Celestine's fans were making noise that ah, they have removed our girl. They didn't want to believe that he resigned on his own accord. They said, Ah, the first man of the system. These wicked people, they have removed the spiritual man. So there was a lot of agitation. Now Boniface, go arrest Celestine. Unfortunately, Celestine died in custody. And um, some people wouldn't believe that Boniface killed him. <laughs> Although, subsequent forensic analysis proved that it was not Boniface that killed Celestine. But ultimately, everybody blamed the death of Celestine on Mr. Boniface. (laughs) So, Boniface already took up a reputation that was controversial. The way he assumed the papal office was controversial, you know, the person that was there before him died. It was a very dark time for the papal office. Let us go ahead here to understand this issue of the Pope Boniface. Now, when Boniface um, was reigning as the Pope, 13th century, there were many forces at work that did not allow for the full expression of the papal office. One of the forces was the fact that the world was progressing, and so land was no longer a... An important currency. Money was now more important. Gold, silver, jewelry were more important than land. Remember the church was rich in land. And so the church seemingly became poor at that time. Because all you had were lands. And now we began to have the rise of middlemen. Things were now happening such as businesses. That did not involve just land and farming. And all of that. But more importantly there was now a sense of nationalism everybody say nationalism <laughs> what that means is that even though we are both christians i will first come and say me i'm from to it never used to be like that everybody was fundamentally first of all christian but now we began to have wars across nations so people will claim claim to i'm from france i'm from england me, I'm from Germany. And all of that was happening. You remember that the papal office was an extension of the Roman government. It was more like an Italian thing. Are we still together? And so some people were not too comfortable anymore with the ultimate power of the papal office. And so Boniface was really having a tough time. Because of the scarcity of funds, even in the regular government, the government and the political leaders began to devise means to obtain money for their country. Remember, the world was now drifting from Christian identification to national identification. So for instance, the king of France is no longer thinking about Christianity, he's thinking about France. The king, are we still together? The king of England is thinking about, how can I help England? The king of Italy is thinking about, how can I help Italy? And so there was a war a seeming war or crisis between two Christian kings. King of France and King of England. King of England's name was Edward. Everybody say Edward. And the King of France's name was Philip the Fair. Both of them were Christians. One of them were seemingly loyal to the papal office but there was a war happening. And everybody was looking for money to maintain their territory. The war was because there were certain French colonies that were disputed by the English government. This one is our property, just like we have. How many of you remember the Bakasi Peninsula fight with Cameroon and Nigeria had? Something like that. Are we still together? Please pay attention, please. Going forward, they now said, how can we make money now that we are looking for money? Land is no longer a big deal. Let us begin to tax rich and influential people. And they began to tax the church. Prior to that time, the church was never taxed. The church was the power. How can you tax the power? But as people began to drift to nationalism, people began to say, let's tax the church. Church is just, what the are they even doing? We'll collect money from them. And so they began to tax them on even the lands that they had and some of the possessions they had. When Boniface, the Pope, heard of that, they were very angry. And he said, so tax heaven. How can you tax the king of kings a lot Lord of lords? He said, No, there's something like that. And so he sent a warning letter threatening to ex- excommunicate the king of England. His name, um, what do I call his name again now? Edward. King Edward. King Edward said, Okay, no problem. If you excommunicate me. I will remove all my royal guards from your private protection. I will tell them not to protect you again. And that was never possible before. Everybody received orders before from the Pope. But the Pope was no longer as influential as it was because, yes, there was no good money anymore. All they had were lands. Two, people were more national than Christian. So he said, okay, all my personal guards. Remember, the Pope was, although. Seated in Rome, but they have connections everywhere: England, um, France, um, Germany, Italy, everywhere. So it seems as though every country delegated certain people to for the protection of the Pope. So the King of England, Edward said, Okay, we'll remove your personal security guards eh, if you excommunicate us. Ah. Boniface say is no payment. What the king of France did was even worse. Philip the Fair. He said, okay, we'll ban all the exportation of gold and silver from France to Rome. Now, remember that at this point, gold and silver was more important than land. And you see, the way the papal office was, there were lots of gold, there were lots of jewelries, and um, that was a major means of their wealth. So King Philip said, If you excommunicate us, no more gold coming from France to Rome. So Brother Boniface had to change mouth. He said, Ah, no be like that now. Somebody cannot even play with you again. Okay, no problem. We'll be paying tax. How much we will pay? And the church began to pay tax, began to grow poorer and poorer. Are we still together? Okay. Now something happened in the year 1300, which is very crucial to our discussion. 1300. And it's a very interesting story because many of us are still like this. What's today's date, for instance? Third of August, is that not so? August is 8, is that not so? Third is um, third, or three. If I now come with a doctor, and say, three for trinity. Eight for new beginning. This is a very prophetic calendar. So $38 to navigate the portal of Trinitarian new beginnings. See that the Rema is deep. (laughs) So, in those days, the year 1300, how many of you did party? We are live during 2000, millennium year. How many of you? Millennium year. Uh You remember that there was a frenzy about it? 2000, gerege? Ha! It's not a normal year. Maybe it's the year of rapture. 2000. 2000- Gerege! Ha! <laughs> so 1300. Was, wow! And then Boniface came up with an idea. I said, wait till it's true. 1300. Let us declare a celebration of this wonderful calendar year. And this celebration, we are going to offer forgiveness of sins. Any boy that can visit Rome... If you are a Roman citizen or a Roman occupant, if you visit the church of Peter 30 times and the church of Paul 15 times, all your sins, future, present and past will be forgiven. And he announced it. He did not know that people were really scared of going to hell like that. He didn't know. And before you know it, everybody began to travel from Africa, from Asia, from them everywhere. Because everybody wanted their sins to forgive me. The church was rich, really shiggy. Money everywhere. People will You know that when I say visit the church of Paul, I'm not saying you will come to God empty-handed. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Yeah. As you come, you bring an offering. There were no bullion vans in those days, but that was the idea. The money was so much, day and night they were stacking currencies. People would come and say, ah, my sins will forgive me. And they told them, the next anything will happen is the year 1400. It happens once in 100 years. So everybody wanted to, my features of everybody came. <laughs> Boniface was so rich. The church also was very influential. And so Boniface became arrogant again. Say, ah, that were threatening us to pay tax. We have come! But uh, Philip the Fair was a stubborn man. Boniface thought nobody could match him. Philip the Fair was a brutally stubborn man. Philip the Fair went to go and arrest a bishop. I think bishop of um, Bordeaux, I think. Excuse me, please. bishop, no, sorry, that's not, but he asked a bishop who was loyal to Pope Boniface. And then Boniface said, ah, no, 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 in fact, I don't no paying tax and you must release that guy. threatening to excom- excommunicate. Philip the Fair He See, excommunicate with no problem. Ah. Boniface now called a meeting of all the bishops worldwide. Everybody came except the bishops in France. Because Philip the Fair ordered no bishop to travel anywhere. so said, Don't go anywhere. Let me get you. I'm the king here. The Pope is not the king. Let me get you. Nobody's traveling anywhere for any meeting. And so Philip the Fair began to see that. Even though he could determine something that happened amongst the French people, the Pope was eventually going to make the excommunication and the interdict official. And if that happened, the people will revolt against him. So he perfected a plan to arrest the Pope. It was something that nobody would have thought thought possible before. But then, Philip was a very brutal king. Like, what would happen? Arrest the guy. So he hired a lawyer. The lawyer was a very skilled lawyer. He was skilled at conjuring you know, um, evidence. Even where there is none. So they began to study. This Boniface king said, Boniface pope said, who is he? Why is he this confident? And then they now traced the issue of him arresting the pope before he came. Pope um, Celestine. They now said, eh, huh? illegal pope, Jenny. He said, He's not even supposed to be in the office. He killed the former pope to become pope. Huh. Hey, eh? And before you know it, they succeeded to tell the French people, gathered representatives of the clergy in France, representatives from lawyers, from the common men, and then decided that arresting the Pope was the best thing to do because he was an illegal Pope. Hmm. Just as the Pope was perfecting his plans to place an interdict on the entire French nation, soldiers visited him, entered his bedroom, broke through his bedroom, and picked him up they slapped him they kicked him i'm talking about an 86 year old man boniface was old nobody now at that point boniface was not even in rome he had because of certain global warming issues or uh, global warming is not a new thing actually but there was uh, some weather conditions at rome at that time i was not too conducive so he went to his village um, let me confirm if I have the name of that village maybe I'll just mention it subsequently but they went to his village and that was where he was apprehended nobody in the village initially knew that soldiers had come to pick up the Pope they kept him in custody and threatened him, they said resign The man say I will soon die why should I resign, kill me if you want to kill me eventually some of the villagers heard after about three or four days then they all gathered together and said how can you come to arrest our Pope in our village Eventually, they chased the soldiers away and rescued Pope Boniface. Unfortunately, the injury sustained was too much. After one month, Pope Boniface died. When Pope Boniface died, it was a very emotional thing. Even though people did not really like the Pope at that time, and yes, the Pope Boniface was a very luxurious Pope. Whenever he marched, in fact, on the day of his coronation, There were two kings that were standing beside him as bodyguards. That was how powerful it was, two kings. There was a massive crown on his head. He was a very pompous kind of pope. (laughs) Unlike Celestine, who was a monk, a hermit, who did not even bother about riches and wealth. This one was a very, very wild pope. Paparazzi pope. Some people did not really like him. They felt that he was collecting all their money and then maltreating the people. did not really do anything to reform the church or help the church was fighting for himself. But when he died, there was a sentiment that, ah, hey, King Philip is a very wicked king. He came to kill the Pope. They didn't even say yeah, he killed the Pope. Hey, how do you kill the Pope? So the issue of nationalism became bigger. Italians would say, ah, the French people are murderers. They killed the Pope. The French people would say, Italians are very wicked people. Their Pope was a very wicked Pope. And so this issue of division was becoming stronger. Do we understand this now? After his death, the council of leaders, I will mention their names subsequently, elected another pope. Clement was his name. He was Archbishop of Bordeaux. Alright? Now, remember that at this point, King Philip the Fair was almost in control of the papal office. He had successfully, as it were, removed Pope Boniface. What he now did was to bully what is called the cardinals who were responsible for or for electing a new pope, the cardinals, call it the cardinals, bully them to appoint somebody who is friend. Or somebody who is loyal to the French government. Do we understand that? So Clement was elected. He did not even go to Rome. He stayed at Avigon. Avigon is controlled by the French government. Interestingly, that was the beginning of what is referred to as the Babylonian captivity of the papacy. Babylonian captivity in biblical terms refers to when Israel was taken to captivity in Babylon. Are we still together? But Babylonian captivity in the papal historical um, narrative refers to when popes refused to reign from Rome but rather reigned from Avignon. Avignon rather. So and this happened six subsequent popes did not come to Rome. They reigned from Avignon and they were influenced by the French government. So the papal office was now becoming like a French thing. No longer a Roman thing. No longer an Italian thing. Not, no longer even a Christian thing. But a French thing. Do we get that now? This lasted for 72 years. Because the Avignon papacy, when I refer to the Avignon papacy, I refer to the fact that all the popes after Clement... With French-controlled, because this papacy was more French-dominated, many other countries began to disengage from their loyalty to the papal office. I'm not even submitting to the Pope anymore. The Pope is just a puppet of the French government. We don't respect him anymore. He does not represent the Christian faith. And so, the papal office began to decline further. Do we understand? So people began to clamor for restructuring. Let's restructure the papal office to be democratic in nature. The Pope does not have to be the highest authority in the Christian faith. No. Let him be submissive to a governing council. Just like we have churches where the pastor is not the ultimate leader. There is a council of elders who can actually fire him. That's what they were clamoring for. This papal office is too... I mean, let's make it democratic. Let's have a governing council that can monitor the papal office and ensure that they do what is right. But basically, other nations began to withdraw their loyalty to the papal office just because it had become an avignon papacy, not necessarily a Christian papacy. But one of the things they complained about about the avignon papacy was that they were given to abuse of money. They didn't... Use money well, and they were very criminal in how they generated money. Let me explain. Remember that King Philip, his own was money, that's why he taxed the church. That's why he quarreled with Boniface. So he was using the papal office to get funds for himself, to fund his war, to fund his civilization, and all of that. One of the terrible things that he did was that they made certain funny, funny laws. For instance, when somebody is a bishop over a territory, the first year, all the money that is supposed to come to the office of that bishop must be remitted to the papal office. Are you listening to me? Follow closely, follow closely. I know it's academic, but just try and follow. All this information actually useful. you understand the history of many things? And the background of many things. So, all the funds that was supposed to come in to the office of the bishop. For instance, the bishop of Gomorchow, everything was supposed to be remitted to the headquarter, which is the papal office of Avignon. But that was not the issue. This actually was called the ANATS. a The ANATS. Because of that law, the Pope and the French government now began to say, why don't we have an idea? Every 6-6 six, six months, every three, 3 months, let's just be transferring bishops. Remember that for every new reign of a bishop, the one-year salary or the one-year income must be remitted. So, for instance, they will move me to Kano. When I get there, I cannot earn one couple because the first one year was returned to the papal office. Then after one year, they will me again. <laughs> after one year, they move me again. That was, so, it was criminal. Just to raise money. So, people began to complain. Ah, uh-uh. ah. Are you the church or are you a bank? What is happening? Then the selling of forgiveness also became very popular. Ah! They sold forgive. That was where it became very, very popular. Over everything. You get angry, you pay $50. You lie, you pay $200. It was because the Philip the just won't, he was just using the papal office just to extort the people. So people were very angry with the papacy. They did not like it at all. Of course, there were subsequent posts, I've told you, this lasted for 72 years. One of those popes, Pope Gregory, in 1377, eventually entered Rome back, hoping to continue the concept of Rome being the headquarter of the church. But he died within a year. And so, every other person continued in that pattern. However, when Pope Gregory entered Rome and reigned for some months, the Italian people felt like after he died, whoever should be the Pope must be loyal to the Italian nation. So they compelled the cardinals to elect an Italian Pope, Urban V. That was the name of the Italian Pope, Urban V. Unfortunately, although the Pope was Italian, he was too dictatorial, he was too bossy, too controlling. They appointed him in Easter, Easter was around March, elected him. By August, the cardinals agreed that they want to remove him. <laughs> and they came out to the public statement and said, You know what? This Pope that is reigning is illegal. We did not want to vote him in. It is the people of Italy that forced us to vote him in. So Urban the Fifth was threatened. And it was his leg- legitimacy was um, contested. I want to say something very important, so let me make sure I get it now. What did urban the fifth down do when they threatened him? Just like somebody come and meet me and say, This pastor, we don't like him, we want to remove him. What he did was to appoint a new set of cardinals. The cardinals were to elect the pope. So he said, hey, Now, now they, just like national assembly he went to change the pope, He said. Come on, everybody will get French French blood for the the, commodity. Everybody Now, Italia, Italia, Italia. What's your name? Berlusconi, enter. What's your name? Vieri, enter. If your name is Poba, come on for there. If your name is... That was how he was doing it. He removed all the cardinals that were loyal to the French government and put Italian cardinal people there. (laughs) The drama no end for there. Urban fifth had his own cardinals who affirmed his is legitimacy but the people that he sacked from the college of cardinals went to go and elect another pope Clement the 7th so we have two popes two popes, yeah Clement and Urban one was loyal to the Italian government one was loyal to the French government one stayed in Avignon, the other stayed in Rome two popes existing. this happened for 39 years two popes, we two popes was, but you see that at this point in time nobody respected the papal office anymore how can there be two popes? Uh-uh. <laughs> it was a confusion everybody was like, what nonsense is this this is not what it used to be the papal office was declining strongly but that's not where the grammar ended though. each pope has communicated themselves so clement excommunicated oban oban has, communicated Auburn. Auburn has communicated clement make <laughs> what could they do ourselves you give me a at, I give me a at, give me a at. he just a drama people did not know who to be loyal to so people were not loyal to anybody so everyone was doing what they like every church was doing what they like <laughs> attempts to solve the problem failed because the only person that could summon every Christian leader was the Pope but now there are two Popes so who will give to someone and who we will be so it's continued for 39 years it's called the great schism in the papal office I'm mentioning all these statements so you can go and read up on it further. I'm just giving you tidbits so you can go and Google these statements and read on them. In 1409, most of the cardinals from both sides, now we have two set of cardinals. One loyal to the Avignon Papacy, the other loyal to the Roman Papacy. Are we still together? Most of them now agreed in 1409 that we cannot continue like this. This is a disgrace to present. Let's look for a solution so they both agreed to overthrow each of their own popes and elect a new pope his name pope alexander the fifth unfortunately none of the popes agreed to step down so we now have three popes oh yeah (laughs) three popes (laughs) from one pope to two popes to three popes (laughs) At the point in time, Gregory ruled at Rome, Benedict ruled at Avignon, and we also had Pope John, three popes existing at the same time. Hmm. Well, the kings and the political leaders, the emperors, they were too ashamed for the situation. So they decided to call a meeting. Remember, at this point in time. It had become more national than Christian. So the kings and the emperors had more power than even the Pope. So they had to call a meeting. The king and the emperor said, Let's, We can't consume that because All of us are Christians. Why is this proper issue becoming so embarrassing? How can there be three Popes? And then they called a the meeting, gathered the bulk of Christian leaders from Germany, Italy, France, England, and subsequently Spain. And they were meeting consistently for about four years. And they decided to elect a new pope. <laughs> no, they successfully convinced one of the three popes to step down, yeah, and then once that happened, they now deposed the other two. Like, if somebody stepped down and give them, no, and then they elected somebody totally new, his name Pope Martin the Fifth. Are we clear? Pope Martin the Fifth. This was where the great schism of the papal office now ended. There was now once again one Pope Martin. However, <laughs> Martin entered the papal office and he was not comfortable with the settings and the structure. One of the things that they agreed when they met for almost four years was that the papal office was going to be highly regulated. The cardinals were going to ensure that the excesses of the papal office was curbed. When Martin, however, assumed power, he dismissed the entire structure and did what he liked. He rejected all the agreements of the Council of Constance. Constance was the place where they met all the before they now agreed to vote in Pope Martin. Are we still together? He refused to submit to the council. Thus, the office of the papacy was left to itself without any reformation. And those who occupied it grew more corrupt. By the time we got to Pope Borgia Rodrigo, that's his name, the papal office was... Just an office of immorality. Every kind of evil was happening under night. The Pope was a terrible person. This man, Borgia Rodrigo Terrible Pope. The Pope had lost every respect whatsoever in the world. And so, every church now resorted to nationalistic ideology. Pope, they do your own. We will go do our own. Anglican Church for England this one taught for Germany this one taught for France it was now very nationalistic and then there were now agitations that led to what is referred to as the reformation where people like John Os John Wycliffe, Martin Luther now began to spring up to resist the papal authority and to resist the catholic church that is that for my teaching tonight But if you have any question, let's quickly receive it. Okay. How many of you found it interesting? We trust that you've been blessed by this teaching. We look forward to receiving your testimonies, prayer requests, and feedback. You can send us a mail at judahmae at yahoo.com. That is, J U D A H M A Y E at yahoo.com. Till next time, remain in the consciousness of God's word and power. Thank you.